Our reading today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Welcome. We are currently going through a series of sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We began with love, the first and most important, the greatest of the fruits. And then we went to joy. Last week was peace. And today we are going to consider patience. Um, Is Grace here? I'm going to ask Grace uh, if she could teach us um, a song and motions. So we, I thought we ought to at least learn the fruit of the Spirit um, together, since we'll be doing that. And so I asked uh, Grace if she would uh, show us. Um, it's, it's actually sign language. It's not a song. I'm not going to sing for you all. <laughs> but we take the fruit. You take your right hand, and you do the sign language F, and you put it into your cheek, and you turn it. This is fruit. And this is spirit. You take your, two, your middle finger and your thumb, and you pull them apart like that. That's fruit. So we say the fruit of the spirit is, and then you say love, joy, joy bubbling out of you, peace. You take your two hands, and you uh, twist them like this, and go down like this, like God's <coughs> covering over you. So it's uh, love, joy, peace, patience. Do you want to just go up to here, or do you just want to... Let's do the whole thing. Okay. I think we can learn the whole thing. Kindness. Uh, patience is... Um, patience, no complaining. Just take your mouth shut. You can remember it like that. <laughs> patience. Um, kindness, you, take, you pull out of the heart. So kindness pulls out of your heart. Okay. Uh, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness. Um, faithfulness, is it next? Mm-hmm. Faithfulness. You take your F, sign language F, two, two hands. And then you, you touch your chin and then go down twice, once this way and once a little bit more further out. Faithfulness, um, I love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. It's like a soft like cotton ball coming out of your heart. Gentleness, and you touch it like that. Gentleness, and then self-control. And you can kind of think of it like a horse with the control with the reins, and you're holding the reins like that. So let's do it all together one more time. Ready? The... Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
against, well, the rest of it is against such things, against such things, there is no law. But okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> All right, so we'll, uh, we'll continue to do that. So I hope we can at least learn, the, uh, learn that together. Um, let's, let's pray together. God, we are thankful again for this day that you have made. We thank you especially today uh, as some of our students um, will become members of the church um, through baptism and through the reaffirmation of their baptismal covenant. And so we thank you especially for today. And so help us now in the hearing of your word uh, as we worship together, fill our hearts full of you. Help us to give attention to you wholly. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, some of you may have heard uh, on Monday, uh, like I heard, uh, I was saddened uh, to hear that Eugene Peterson uh, passed away uh, on Monday. Uh, for those of you who don't know who he is, uh, he was a Presbyterian minister, a seminary professor, uh, and a prolific writer, um, probably best known for his um, influential translation of the Bible uh, called The Message. I, I never met him, um, but, you know, um, I think I probably read everything he's ever written. Um, and he's been through his books, uh, been a tremendous mentor to me and a guide in terms of what it means to be a pastor, um, especially what it means to be a pastor. And so uh, I thought I want to just share one of the things that um, I learned from him uh, about prayer, because that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. Uh, he says this about prayer and believe it or not, and grammar. Um, so he says, in, in English grammar, we have two voices. We have the active and the passive voice. You know, the active voice means the subject is acting on an object, like I hit the ball. Um, and then the passive is when the object, uh, you receive the action from, from an object. Uh, but in Greek grammar, there's not just the active and passive, but there's something called the middle voice, the middle voice, in which the subject participates in the results of the action. Let me say that again. A middle voice, we don't have this in English, in which the subject participates in the results of the action. That's a little complicated. So Peterson gives this example. He says, think of the word, take the word counsel, for example. If I say, I counsel my friend, that's in the active voice. I am counseling my friend. If we say, I am counseled by my friend, that's in the passive voice. I am being counseled by someone. But if we say, I take counsel, that would be something like the middle voice. I take counsel. That is, I participate in the results of the action. Does that make sense? So the counseling is initiated by someone, but I I participate in those Actions, And so he goes on to say that Christian prayer is not in the active voice because if it were, then we would be, um, you know, making God do whatever we want. Christian prayer cannot be in the passive voice because then there's, there's no freedom and we're simply fated by the whims of a deity. Peterson says we neither manipulate God through the active voice nor are manipulated by God through the passive voice. But in Christian prayer... I enter into the action begun by God and find myself somehow participating in the results of God's action. 
So, so prayer takes place in, the, in this middle space, in this middle voice. Uh, maybe you don't find that as interesting as I did. I, I found that just an incredible insight in thinking about uh, prayer and, and the confidence to pray, right? Because in my prayer, it's not that I'm trying to make God do something or that you know, my prayers don't make any difference because God knows everything and God's going to do whatever God wants. But the, the sense that in the middle voice, I am somehow... It's mystery, obviously, but somehow I'm participating in God's actions. And, and, I, can ha- and I can trust that. And uh, we can argue, really, that the entire Christian life, not just prayer, takes place in this middle voice of, of participating in the results of the actions initiated by God. I mean, that's our salvation. Salvation, these are actions initiated by God, and we participate in the results of what God has already done. Uh, With that in mind, look at what Paul says in his prayer today. He says that he's heard about the faith of the Colossians and their love, and he has not stopped praying for them. Right? He prays for them, even though, again, he knows knows that God is going to do what God wants, but he's going to pray for them, and he doesn't stop praying. He has confidence, and he keeps on praying. And look at his prayer. He says that they would be filled that God would fill them with the knowledge of God's will so that they can live lives worthy of the gospel. You see, you see how the middle voice plays here? We are filled by God. It's clearly initiated by God. That's Paul's prayer. I want you to be filled by God, that you would be filled by God. So it's entirely up to God. But, he says, and that we would participate, right? That we would live lives worthy of the gospel, Bear fruit, increase in knowledge. So the filling is by God, but we participate in those actions initiated by God uh, through living lives worthy of the gospel, bearing fruit, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this knowledge, of course, is the redemptive work of God through his son, Jesus, who has delivered us, he says, out of darkness, transferred us out of darkness, and into the light of his kingdom and salvation. So that's, that's what he does. And he ends this prayer by saying his desire for them is that they would be strengthened with all power for endurance and patience and with joy, giving thanks to God who has made salvation, the forgiveness of sins, possible. Um, I, I've been thinking about this prayer, uh, especially for our students today. Um, and I, I thought it was a good prayer for us to pray for them and with them, um, that they would be strengthened with all power for endurance and patience because they're just starting their journey and they need endurance and patience. And so we can pray for them to bear this particular fruit of patience. You've all heard the saying that patience is a virtue. Uh, it's funny how none of the other virtues get that uh, saying, only, only patience. Patience is a virtue. Um, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of patience is the uh, Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. You've probably uh, heard or seen this, where young children were offered uh, one marshmallow. But if they were willing to wait like five, ten minutes, then they could have two marshmallows, right? And uh, the original study claimed that the children were willing to wait those five minutes, patiently just sit there with the marshmallow sitting on the table, right? If they could wait, they would get the two marshmallows, and the kids who were able to wait, they found uh, that later in life, they were more successful, right? They scored higher on their uh, standardized tests, they made more money, and, and all that other good stuff. Um, 
before you parents go home and try this experiment on your kids, um, later follow-up studies uh, fail to reach the same conclusions. So you don't have to worry if your kids eat that second marshmallow, first marshmallow right away. Um, well, the, the ability to wait, I think, is a common way of thinking about patience. But uh, according to the dictionary, patience has at least four primary meanings. Uh, one is this calm, uncompromising endurance of pain, affliction, and inconvenience. Right? Someone who kind of just is able to endure through pain and suffering. A second meaning is forbearance, especially in the face of provocation when faced with the shortcoming of others. Right? You need patience when you're dealing with people who, are, who just frustrate you to no end. Third, there is a calm or self-possessed waiting, a waiting that is confident and hopeful. So that's, you know, we understand what that is too. You're standing in line at the grocery store, at the DMV or whatever. And lastly, perseverance or constancy in life commitments. So this is, you know, you're committed to uh, learning the piano and you just got to have patience as you progress little by little uh, over time. And all these four aspects of patience are, of course, reflected in the scriptures as it talks about uh, patience. Uh, endurance during pain and suffering might remind you of the patience of Job who sat through incredible suffering in his life. Forbearance of other shortcomings might remind you of Jesus, whose patience was tested repeatedly uh, by the slowness and by the lack of faith on the part of his disciples. Simply waiting might remind you of the opening line of Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, or of the, the waiting of people like uh, Abraham and Sarah and, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, who waited for decades beyond biological possibility for a child. And perseverance might remind you of someone like Noah, who faithfully built an ark, pounding one nail at a time for decades until the rains came. And so there there are different ways to think about patience. And uh, if I had time, I'd I'd want to do four sermons uh, on patience or one really, really long sermon. Um, But I'm not going to do that. Um, But I do want to give you a couple of uh, quick word studies. I've got to do two today. Um, There are different words that we use in English to talk about different aspects of patience. And in Greek, there are two primary words that gets translated as patience uh, in the Bible. And both of them uh, appear in our reading today in verse 11, where Paul writes, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Now, the word endurance in the Greek is hupomone, which means to uh, stay under or to bear under. And it has this sense of steadfastness. That's why it often gets translated as endurance, that you endure. Um, This, by the way, is why we start calling people uh, who are sick patients, right? A patient has to have patience because that's what it is. They they have to endure, they have to persevere uh, through this time of, of suffering. So that's, that's one word. The other one, the more important word that I want to talk about today, uh, is macrothemia. Macro, for the, uh, you know, we have like, uh, like macroeconomics. It means uh, big or large. And themia is the word for um, passion, for anger, for wrath, uh, things like that. And so uh, if you think about what the second word, macrothemia, means, it's a... It's, the word for patience, it means to have, um, to be long or to put distance, think of it as to put distance between you and your anger. Right? To put great distance, macro space between 
you and your anger, your thumia. And um, it doesn't mean that your anger is not justified. You might have a right to be angry. Every right. But you're still willing to put it away, put it far from you. Um, I think the way uh, we can think about this in a general sort of way is that the hupomone patience is patience about circumstances through which we have to endure. But the second word, this macrothemia patience, is patience with people. It's patience with people. And this is the word that I want to talk about. Because uh, in the listing in Galatians, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is patience, it's the second word. It's the macrothemia. It's the patience you need with people. It's not the patience you need to endure through, like, you know, things that are going bad in your life. And as I said uh, repeatedly now, fruit is for the community. It's not about, it's not a self-improvement program. The fruit is for the community. And so, of course, we need this patience with people. We need patience with people, this macrothemia. And um, that's what I want to just get to today. Um, It's this idea of putting your anger as far from you as possible. That's patience. That's patience. And actually, it, it's, it's, uh, it actually is the same idea in Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew word for patience, interestingly enough, rarely gets translated as patience in our English Bibles. Um, it only appears just a, just a couple of times, like in Proverbs. Almost always, the word for patience in Hebrew in the Old Testament gets translated not as patience, but as slow to anger. Slow to anger. And what's really interesting, at least for me, is that that phrase slow to anger literally means long of nose. To be slow to anger, to have patience, is to have a long nose. Literally, that, that's, that's what it says. And it's because in the ancient days, people thought, you know, when you get mad, what happens? Your, your nose starts to flare, right? And you, get, you, get, um, you, you start breathing very quickly and rapidly. And so the idea of patience is to have a slow nose, slow flaring. Have a long nose so you can breathe nice and easy. That's the way they talked about patience. That's patience. And we need that with people because as I, I find these... Um, these word pictures, very helpful because I know as I've been thinking about it this week, patience for me, it's, it's really about my anger. It's about getting angry with people and with situations, right? That's, that's impatience. And, and I have to find a way somehow now to, to put distance between what I'm feeling to have a long nose before I respond uh, with anger, right? To be short-nosed. Uh, in English, actually, we have something like this, too. In English, we talk about someone being short-tempered. Someone who's short-tempered gets angry very quickly. They're impatient. Uh, we don't have this word, but we ought to, right? That uh, someone who's patient ought to be long-tempered. Instead of being short-tempered, we, you know, we ought to pursue a life where we're long-tempered. Um, you know... I know that for probably everyone here who, who drives, um, one of the great sources of your anger and impatience uh, is New Jersey traffic, driving, right? You get so angry. I know this because I get cursed at all the time. You get so angry and impatient on the road. 
right? Why? I mean, on the one hand, it's justifiable. On the one hand, it is understandable. Maybe someone does something that creates a very dangerous situation for you and, and you, you're legitimately, rightfully scared. Yes. But I think most of the time, most of the road rage, most of the impatience on the road is really more about annoyance. It's about annoyance. A car that's not going as fast as you want them to go in the passing lane. Someone forgetting to make a turn signal and making you stop a little more suddenly than you wanted to. Someone, you know, maybe who's lost and they're kind of constantly breaking as they're looking for, for an address. They've impeded you. They're making you three seconds late. And your time is so, so valuable. They're such bad drivers, not like you, who never make a mistake when you're driving. Uh, You know, even my wife, who is normally a very gentle and loving person, um, (laughs) occasionally when she's driving, teeters toward road rage. I kid you not. Um, She just finds it so frustrating. Uh, I try to tell her that some of those bad drivers are doing things that I have done. I've seen my exit at the last second and had to kind of cut across a couple lanes to make the exit. I've made turns without signaling. I've had trouble reading street signs in the dark, and I've had to brake too much. I've missed cars in my, in my blind spot and almost you know, got into accidents. I've gone too slow in the passing lane, for sure. I've forgotten to turn off my high beam. I know I can be a better driver, although I probably won't. I know that people have cursed me in their cars, sometimes out loud with their windows rolled down. (laughs) So I understand that. But I'm probably not going to become that much of a better driver. And so really... What's left is for you to be more patient with me. (laughs) So next time there's a slow driver in front of you, imagine it's your grandmother, or that the bad driver is one of your kids who just got their license and is nervous about being on the highway for the first time. Patience. You know, if we look at the word patience a little more closely in English, we find that the Latin root is pati, which shares with the English word for passion. The word passion and patience come from the same Latin root. To have compassion towards someone, to feel empathy towards someone, is to become patient with them. Is to be patient with them. Is to understand that they are in the process of becoming and need your understanding. I think in the simplest terms, I would say this. To have patience with others is to allow them and to accept them in their imperfection. Right? Instead of saying you know, they, they, they should be as perfect drivers, they should be perfectly formed in their faith, is to have this understanding and acceptance that they're going to be imperfect and that you are able to live with that. Allow them that time to stay in this state of imperfection. And so that's how we then push our wrath uh, from us. Because you know, as, as a culture, we are anything but patient. Uh, we're such an angry nation and we're in this, this state of constant overdrive and, and we want everything done as soon as possible. You know, we, we want it done yesterday. 
Um, one, of my, um, one of my aunts in Korea uh, said something that I just thought was one of the greatest things. We were driving in Korea years ago, and I remember um, there was a car that just kind of like cut her off and was going super fast. And she said in Korean, I'm not going to repeat the Korean, uh, she said, um, if they're in such a hurry, they should have just, they should have left yesterday. <laughs> right? And I thought that, that's great. That's, I thought that was so good. Um, but, that, but that's how we are. We're, we're so much in a rush. Um, and, I, and I hear this from, from people all the time about, you know, things like, you know, I wish I could get through this next phase and get to the next step, right? I wish my kids would start walking already. I wish I could get out of this diaper stage. I wish I could, you know, send my kids off to college and, you know, like, I wish I could get to this next step in life instead of, like, being in that state of imperfection, being in that process. Because, and that's what it takes. It takes the patient, patience to go through all their stumblings with them. And, and as parents, you know that you have to have a long nose. You know this. You have to accept their imperfections as they learn to speak, as they learn to tie their shoes, as they learn to you know, wipe their own butts, and a thousand other things that they have to learn. You can't just get angry and walk away. I mean, I, I know you do that sometimes, but you can't constantly do that. You have to put your anger far from you, even though they fail to do the thing that you told them to do a thousand times. You keep putting your anger further and further away. And, and I think people are the same when it comes to their uh, spiritual formation. People are impatient and angry with the church because they've been hurt or disappointed by someone in the church, someone that they maybe looked up to, someone that they thought should be a, a spiritual leader or someone who should be spiritually more mature. And you get angry, again, maybe rightly so. Maybe you've known people in the church for a long time and they look like they haven't made any spiritual progress. And it's frustrating. It's easy to get disappointed and angry with spiritually immature people in the church. People want super spirituality super quickly. Maybe you come here and you want to be taught how to be super spiritual in four easy lessons. Time is money. Let's skip the word studies and get to the part where you tell me how I can grow spiritually really fast. But, but there just is no way to compress this time. There is no way to compress time toward maturity. You have to be patient with yourself and with others. That's the Christian life together. You've got to allow people the space to be imperfect. And sometimes they're going to stay in that condition for a really long time. You have to choose to put your anger, sometimes justifiable anger, far from you. That's how we grow. And I think daily living provides the necessary and unplanned opportunities for training in righteousness and patience. You know, um, there, there, there are different ways that you can get in shape, right? For example, you can um, go to the gym uh, every day at 5 o'clock in the morning and have a set of exercises that you do. That's one way of getting in shape. Or you can help your friends move their furniture and mow the lawn. You can plan a 30-minute jog around the neighborhood that's scheduled and planned. Or you can play tag with your kids and, and run around. Setting aside 
times for prayer, for Bible study are absolutely vital for our spiritual growth to grow in patience. Absolutely. But just as important, hanging out with people, hanging out with imperfect people in the church and at home is also important. And before you forget, let me remind you that you also are some of those imperfect people that are going to help other people grow in their patience. So it's not everyone's here helping you grow, but you're helping them grow with your imperfections as well. I think patience means that we are willing to be available for others and to let go of our own agendas and a willingness to enter into God's purposes and God's timetable. Henry Nouwen writes about what he calls these needful times, these strange periods of uselessness. Strange periods of uselessness. Look pragmatically when we think about things like prayer and worship. They can look like a time that is wasted. There's seemingly very little return on the investment of time when we come to worship and to pray, right? You got up early this morning. Some of you made a very long drive. Now you got to sit through a, a long sermon and you're getting very little out of it. You could have just stayed in bed today, gotten more sleep, and listened to the sermon in your pajamas at twice the speed, you know, played fast. That's much more efficient. You could have avoided all the small talk that you're going to have to do later. You could have avoided all the handshakes. You could have avoided all the embarrassment of shaking people's hands whose names you can't quite remember, but it's too late not to ask them because too much time has passed. You could have avoided all of that. But that's, that's the only way to grow. That's the only way to grow in patience. Not just patience, but, but all the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is for the community, and you have to waste your time in community. I like the way the uh, writer Philip uh, Cannison talks about this. He says, instead of talking about investing our time, he suggests that we talk about the language of devotion, right? Because when we say, I'm investing my time and my life in this person, then, then we expect something in return, right? If I, if I invest my time in someone, I expect at the very least for this person you know, to have some sense of thankfulness, to maybe grow a little bit spiritually, something like that. I, I want some return on this investment of time and resources of my life that I'm giving to this person. And then it just becomes this, this sort of contract, right? And if they don't grow or if things don't happen, then you feel like you, you've wasted your time, that the investment has no return. And you get angry. You grow impatient. But if instead we think about devotion, devoting our time, devoting our lives into the life of another person, then there is no sense of becoming impatient because you're starting from a position of acknowledgement. This is a person of worth and value. They are simply worthy of your devotion and your time. And so I don't feel cheated that I lost my time somehow if I don't get something in return. I feel good for having spent it, for having given my devotion. Right? And this is what devotion to God is supposed to look like. And, and I, I don't think it's a bad approach as we think about in relating with one another uh, in the church to put our devotion into the lives of people as a way of helping us to put 
space between ourselves and our wrath. Because this is exactly what God does. This is exactly what God does. God's very nature is patient. God is slow to anger. 2 Peter 3.8 With the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has every right to be angry. Every right. For thousands of years, every day, God had a right to be angry with us. But he chose to put that anger far from him. To be slow to anger. He was long of nose. Patient that we might repent and be saved. And he does this because he loves us. Because of his love. In fact, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 Paul defines love, and the first thing that he says about love in that chapter is love is patient. Love is patient. Love, love it's long-tempered. It's long-tempered. And if you've been in any lasting relationship, you know, you know what this means. You have to be long-tempered. You know, I know that passage is uh, most often read at weddings, But Paul's talking about the church. He's talking about the way we're supposed to deal with one another in the church. In a moment, we're going to have five students become members of this church through baptism and through the reaffirmation of their baptismal covenants. And I think this is an especially fitting word uh, for them, patience. So students, I want you to know something. I want you to know that this today, this is not the end. This is not the completion of what you began. This is not the completion of what it means to become a Christian. It's not like, I'm going to give my testimony, and I got baptized, and now now I'm done. That's not it. It's your first step. So you have to be patient with yourself, and you have to be patient with your parents. Sometimes they don't seem very, you know, loving, Christian, mature. But if you wait long enough, you'll be surprised that they will have matured when you get a little older. I promise you that. (laughs) People in this church, people of faith, will disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you probably at some point in your life, if I haven't already. So you have to be patient with me and with the rest of the church. Because we're all on this journey. We all need time to be in this state of imperfection. And to the church, you know, these are very precious young people. It's like today they're getting their, um, they're, they're passing their written test for their driver's license. Their faith is being formed. They're going to make mistakes along the way. Some of them will frustrate you. Some of them are going to get lost probably for a period of time. But we, we can't give up on them. And we have to be patient with them. And we need to, as Paul says, to keep on, to never stop praying for them. So let's do that together. Let's pray. God, may each and everyone here today, and especially 
our students. Be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they may walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May each one here today be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the words of Jesus. All authority in heaven.